Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. I'm Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm Smart and OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's been a minute. I know. Sorry. Busy. Life. Uh, let's see. Nashville happened and Virginia happened since the last time we talked. Uh, Nashville's a great race. It's, it's a flat venue, but there's technical running out there. When you drive up to it, it looks like farmland, kind of like Charlotte, and you wouldn't think there's a lot of technical running there, but there's like these rock gardens that are in the woods. And there's this stream or river that's like bone dry and it's all rock bottom. There's fallen trees down in it and it's just a super cool to run through that part. And uh, it's just always a fun race. I've been there twice now and uh, I plan on going back again next year. Lionheart's Fitness was there. They had their fundraiser lap, which was the last lap of the day. I got to do that with a bunch of friends and we had a good time. And they let the little kids that normally can't do the adult race go out there and do the adult race and uh, of course i mean they had adults with them to help them get over some of the obstacles because they were too short and uh but that was really cool you know a good chance for the kids to see the big kids course and i thought that was a really cool opportunity uh, she also had live music out there which was awesome i wish we could have live music at every single venue it just brought like a different type of atmosphere to the venue, and I thought it was really cool. And um, let's see. So in Virginia, Virginia's, uh, I mean, there was probably like 600 feet in the super course there, but it's a pretty mad fast course there. Wasn't a lot of technical running, maybe a quarter to a half a mile of technical running on the whole super course. It was, it was pretty fast, but it was a fun course. The last time I went there was 2018 in June. No, 2017 in June. It was in the summertime, really hot, and uh, I kind of like doing it better here in the fall. You know, the leaves were changing, and it, it made the venue more memorable. It looked it, uh, more prettier scenery for sure. But, uh, man, it got cold on Sunday morning. It was damn sure a cold morning race for sure. A good way to prepare for my next race coming up, which is World's Toughest Mudder. And uh, I got a cool guest on. She ran it last year, got it 80 miles, and she's going to tell us all about that, how to prepare for it, and her plans on going there this year. So get ready to learn a lot about World's Toughest Mudder. And here's my guest, Hannah Carter. Hannah Carter, what is going on with you today? Nothing much. How are you, Scott? Good. So... I heard that you said that you just got back to a hotel. Are y'all on the way down to World's Toughest Motor? Yeah, so we finished up our, our work season for the fall, and then we kind of like got out of town right away. So we've been traveling the last couple of weeks. We are in New Orleans. It's kind of the last leg of our trip before we go down to Pensacola. We leave on Thursday morning to make That's it down sweet. there. So, I know I've I've known you for a few years now, I guess. But what what do you, what do you do for a living? I guess I don't I don't even know. That's okay. I coach um, youth basketball. David and my my husband and I run a youth basketball program. He works with the younger kids, so like the K through fifth or sixth grade, and then I'll take over the fifth or sixth grade all the way up into to high school. So we we run three seasons out of the year. We have a fall, we have a winter, and then we have a spring. 
And so we take breaks in between each seasons. Um, and then we also have a nice longer break in the summer. Oh, sweet. That's pretty cool. I never knew that. So, That's fun. so did you grow up playing basketball or whatever? I did. I did. So I grew up playing in, in grade school and in high school a little bit, but then I stopped playing because I, I started coaching and I love that so much and had a really good time. So we've been doing it for like almost 13 years, the, the two of us. So we've been, we've been, we've been on the, the basketball train for a long time. Oh, wow. So do y'all, so I guess you're saying y'all coach different seasons or y'all don't work at this. Do y'all work at the same school or y'all work at different schools coaching? So it's not even school. So we're like people, all oh, you guys, AAU people ask that question all the time. But we just actually we're we're a more local travel circuit. Okay. So we'll we'll we have our own teams with kids, you know, from other schools. They come to us, and while we teach basketball, it's more life skills more than anything else. Basketball is kind of secondary, um, and and we just enjoy ourselves. You get to work with the kids. The kids always remind you how how to look at the world kind of a little bit differently. So that's enjoyable. Well, I bet. That's pretty cool. It sounds like an interesting job, and it's got to be pretty cool if y'all, you know, travel the way y'all are doing this week, huh? Yeah. So, is... Like, go ahead. I like to say it offers me three things. Relative financial stability. You can always make more. You can always make a little less. Depends. And then schedule flexibility, because I'm the one making the schedule, and then the opportunity to positively impact lives. So, those are the three things. If I could, you know, pick the, the best parts of my job, those three are, are the, the winners for me. That's pretty cool. So, so where did you and did did you and Dave meet doing this? Yeah, so we initially met um, coaching together at our grade school, and then we kind of branched off and eventually started our own program. But it's funny, we went to the same grade school, but you know he was five years older than me, four and a half, so five grades older. And then he his parents actually own a building, and he lives like less than a mile. His parents and he grew up less than a mile from where I grew up, so like in the same neighborhood, but we really didn't know each other until we both had graduated and we're starting coaching together. So it's kind of fun. Right. So did y'all get married and then start this coaching business or did y'all start this coaching business and then get married? Uh, it was pretty like, so it was like a year before we got married, but it was like very all similar, same time timeline there. Right. That's pretty cool. It's a good story. <clears throat> How do you propose to you? We didn't really do a proposal. That's always a funny one. Cause it was kind of like a foregone conclusion that we were going to get married. He's the kind of person, like, we both were, where we weren't going to waste our time, like, seeing somebody if it wasn't serious. Right. So, and it it just, it was kind of like a natural progression of things. Like, oh, you know, once you graduate from college, we'll get married, basically. And so I, I kind of messed that up. I failed one class in college that kind of set me back a year on my program. Huh. But, because I was in a five-year program, but... um so we got married the same time, but I still had one year, one more year of college. But yeah, it kind of, we, we didn't really, it was more like, oh, how do we want to get married? Not do you want to get married oh. when we first started talking about it. And so it was love at first sight, it sounds like. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so was he like one of those guys where he picked on you until you liked him or something? No, he's, it's so funny because like the people in the racing world, know him is and more of his antics right and then there's other people that know him. he used to be so much more quiet very reserved um and i feel like you know obviously i know the more talkative side of him and the more like weird side of him where he's 
he's a wackadoodle for sure. But like when we first started to get to know each other, he was super quiet, kept everything to himself and barely talked. So it, um, it was definitely like different for me, like to understand like, Oh no, this person's interested in me. This is different. So he, uh, he's definitely more quiet and, and, and he was, but now he's kind of more opened himself up a little bit. It's funny. All right. I remember talking to him a little bit at one of the savages races that was here in Georgia. He is a pretty cool guy and he's a good athlete too as well. Um, so tell me about like, so I, I assume your background in sport is basketball, but somewhere in here you found running and you fell in love with it. You want to tell us how that happened? Sure. I, I grew up like all ball sports. So soccer, basketball, volleyball, those are my three growing up. My dad, played soccer in college, but he never like pushed any of that on us. It was just like, okay, these are, these are things that, you know, are available to us through school. Like I didn't play any travel sports until I was older. I played a little travel basketball. I always joke, like my parents would not put me in the program that I work for, you know, because it wasn't around back then. It wasn't an option. And so, you know, when I grew up, I, I definitely was one of the more, competitive girls and I, that was obvious to me around like even stupid stuff like gym class like oh I want <laughs> I want to beat everybody all the time like and even to an unhealthy level right like unhealthy competitive spirit and at the same time I was always like yeah no I am not a runner like I don't like running I don't like long distance David and I when we first got married would always joke like oh you'll be out there running soon I'm like absolutely not I do not like running huh. running's horrible it's so boring feels like death um and it's it's funny because i when i first really started to get into shape was when he he grew up running like he was the one who would run for fun as a kid and that's why his everyone talks about his running economy his his gait his his form is phenomenal he's super economical when we went to the the um what is it called uh ode ode to last but mm-hmm last man standing like they're like oh my gosh his, his running form is so economic like does he train that specifically and i'm like no he's just run that way forever so he always grew up with that kind of background and it's funny because as fast and competitive as he is like he just grew up running tens like running 10 minute miles and like never being looking to push anything past that or anything like that which is funny to me because you know the big thing when you first get into running is like people are talking about 80 20 like you need to do lots of low intensity mileage and he would he would go run a marathon on the treadmill at the gym at 10 minute mile pace the entire time like just for fun so it's always funny to me that like all these these um missteps you see runners have he like kind of just glossed right over them no injuries because his form was perfect young no no like running too fast overtaxing himself and so me when I first started to get in shape, he went to this ninja gym in our area when we moved. And I was like, oh, they're, they're doing weight measurements. Like, I'm not interested in that. It doesn't sound fun. But then eventually, like, I was like, okay, well, I'll try it. And so I went and it was, it was so cool because obstacles, as you, you know, mm-hmm. as an obstacle enthusiast make, you know, fitness enjoyable. Like right. it's, it's, it's play rather than working out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was like, okay, this is fun. I can get behind this. I couldn't even swing from ring to ring. I couldn't do a pull-up. I couldn't do anything. Um, but 
had so much fun and eventually really kind of found my own athleticism there. Lost a ton of weight, um, like 35 pounds or something, which, wow. you know, doesn't seem like a lot, but a lot. when, you know, like percentage wise, it, it was a good amount for me. Um, and then, you know, he was decided he was going to sign up for, he found Spartan trifecta. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to do these three races. And he picked the Dallas stadium. He picked, uh, the Utah super mm-hmm. and the West Virginia beast were his three races he picked. And so I, I was like, okay, I'll do the short one with you. And so I did the Dallas stadium with him. And then we went to Utah and I think it was a national series then. And maybe this was 18 or something. Right. Um, and he did the super and I was like, okay, well, I, cause I watched him on Saturday and he, he had these projections of when he thought he was going to come through. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he was like an hour late and he's like, they ran out of water. It was 90 degrees in Utah, <laughs> you know, stupid hot. And I'm like, you're an hour where, behind where you said you were going to be. <laughs> and he's dying. And then, uh, I was like, okay, but. I guess I'll, I'll try the sprint. Cause we went to the open house on Friday right? and I'm like trying the spear throw and like, okay, this looks cool. This looks fun. So I did this, the sprint and I was one of those people, you know, basically run walking a sprint with a pack on, you know? Right. And so that's why it's really <laughs> important to me when you see people out there and you know, Scott running the ultras, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's when you, whenever you pass somebody and they tell you like, no, good job. You like, I, I really find it really important to like encourage everyone you see everyone. out there because that was me, right? Like that, that was me finding a 5k really challenging. So challenging. I had to walk and bring water and, and nervous like that. And then, um, I think the year after that 19, I decided I wanted to do a trifecta myself or like multiple trifectas right. and I want to do every distance. So, I signed up and I en- ended up doing like something like four trifectas that year and basically no training. I just was like going and suffering through all of them. And then I signed <laughs> up for the uh, Fayetteville Ultra, which I don't know if it was Fayetteville. I don't remember which one it was. It's the one at Tryon. And That's it was Carolina that horrible Ultra. year in 19 when it rained. And yeah. It started in the 50s and then it dropped to the 40s or something like that. That was a and good one. It was awful. Like we're in the, in the second lap. You, I don't know if you were there for that one, mm-hmm. but uh, I was. Yeah, I'll, the course just deteriorated until it was like you're literally sliding through mud. Right. And so I was nursing an IT band, and like so I was being real conservative, and then ended up walking some of it, like running some of it. But I got to the point where my hip flexors walking through that mud. We're so taxed just because your legs get so heavy with the mud caked on your shoes oh, that I man. literally couldn't walk. So we had to get, we had to take a ride off that course. And, and then I decided, okay, 2020, the ultra beat me. I'm going to fuck up the ultra. <laughs> <laughs> so I was ready. I was like ready to sign up for like five Spartan ultras. Oh, shoot. Um, and then obviously 2020 hit mm-hmm. and we were registered for the San Luis Obispo race in i think it was march and we were out there and then the wednesday before the race we had already like been ready to move to to one of the next hotels we get the email that it's canceled okay so i was pretty frustrated and david was ready to do something so we stayed where we were in colorado and then kind of went home and then um 
you know, David had been running a ton. He was ready to like just attack regular ultras all on and, and go through that. And, and me, I was nursing some post-hib tendonitis. Mm. And that was when, uh, Matthew Davis held the ultravirus race. Right. So he, um, David kind of jumped in that and he'd been doing like 10 mile runs coming back to the house for five minutes and like going back out. And then when I heard the format of ultravirus, I was like, actually I found your race. Um, it's five mile loops, come back to the house, get your shit, go back out, Mm -hmm. do another five mile loop for 12 hours. And so I watched and like crewed for him that day and it was on the, the, the zoom or whatever. And I was like, okay, well, this is too much fun to sit out on the sidelines. There's no gyms that are open. I might as well try running here because that's all there is to to be had right now. So it started in, I think like either May or June. And I, every day that month I ran 5k a day. And then every day of the month after that, I ran five miles a day. The month after that, 10K a day. The month after that, seven and a half miles a day. The month after that, nine miles a day. And then ever since um, December 1st, 2020, I've been doing 10 miles a day. Every day. Every day. Haven't missed a day. This year has been modified a little bit. There has been some more like um, some climbing, like power power hiking and stuff like that. Right. some more intense walking because as I progressed through more of the ultra scene, like that became a glaring weakness, like, Oh, and, and really, really important. Like with some of these mountain races, as you know, like you took on Killington this year, oh, yeah. like, that's, that's not running. <laughs> no, it's not. It's power that's hiking. Power hiking. So and falling and, and down and hills. They've <laughs> been running ever since. So that's pretty impressive, you know, and that's, it's awesome that you've, you've been able to put on that much volume and, and stay injury free as well. So, it looks like some of Dave's running mechanics has rubbed off on you. Some of them. I, I, and that I, you know, I ran through the gambit. Like I've dealt with, like I said, it band post tip and I, I went the barefoot shoe route and I did it the dumb way. I went all in instead of like kind of easing into it. Right. But I think that really helped kind of repair some of my gait. And there was really only, it was actually the, the blue Ridge ultra, I did run after that, that I maintained, cause you were there at Blue Ridge, right? Mm-hmm. In 2020. Right. So that was the, the month of seven and a half, but the month before, um, actually it was, yeah, it was, it was maybe September of that year. I did a 50 miler. That was my first like real non ultra virus, non virtual ultra. And so basically the 10 mile streak is there, but the 10 K streak is even longer that was the last time because I stopped after the 50 miler, but even after Blue Ridge, I don't know, my quads were, were trashed after Blue Ridge, but yeah, I kind of found a way to like just be low intensity enough to be able to like break things up. And it's not like people are like, oh, you run 10 miles at a time. I'm like, no, it's a two mile run, a two mile run, and then, you know, a six mile run or something like that. But it's just been, you know, really listening to the body. And people don't think I take rest. They do rest, I promise. Hmm. It just looks different than what other people might think of it as, I guess. Right. So, last year, you got 80 miles at World's Toughest Mudder. And guess what, Hannah? World's Toughest Mudder is this weekend, and the weather's going to suck. <laughs> so, what do you think about... Going into World's Toughest Mudder this weekend, what are your goals? Uh, the first goal is orange jacket. And that sounds crazy, and people are going to be like, it's cold, it's all that stuff. And honestly, I think 
it is going to be cold and it would be imprudent of people to not give that element the respect it deserves. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, I think people are giving it too much power. Um, I think people are talking about it too much and they're already letting it take up headspace when, and, and, you know, I, we've done those cold races. If you, you were at trying in 19, you know, we've, we've done, you know, things were wet and uncomfortable and it's no different than like when people are like, Oh, you did an eight hour race, like the tough mudder infinities. And I'm like, well, you guys sit at work for eight hours, a lot of people. And it's just about. <laughs> changing that mindset. I mean, so many of us live in cold areas where we have to go out and shovel or we have to go out and walk the dog. And it's like, this is a different, this isn't a have to, this is a get to, it's going to be uncomfortable, but everyone's going to be uncomfortable. Everyone's going to have people there. We're going to have our friends there. We're going to be able to laugh through it. And then the secret is, unfortunately, the only way to avoid the cold is to keep moving. That's right. Absolutely. (laughs) What are you gonna do? Sit in your tent and be colder? Well, I'm. I mean, I'm gonna sit in the tent and possibly drink coffee. So, um. <laughs> yes, coffee. But, the the internal heating is really really important. I know I have right. like broth slated. I don't drink a ton of coffee, but I will. For WTM, I'll have some. They got hot chocolate too. <laughs> yeah, hot chocolate tea. I have my tea ready. Um, but yeah, I think um, the obstacles are def. I think they're harder than they were last year. Right. That's definitely going to be accounted for. I do think it's going to be flatter. I don't know if it's going to be faster because everyone complained about the sand last year. I loved the sand. Did you? Um, mm. Yeah, it was low impact. And, and I hate running run, on the beach. So you I got to run know. downhills. You get to bomb downhill. That's like, true. So that was fun. And I think a lot of people walk the sand. And the secret about walking the sand is like if you heel toe when you walk, you're actually like adding more sneaky vert because you're like pushing the sand up. Right. And so that's, uh, yeah. So it's the trick is to just slowly run the sand for anyone doing Abu Dhabi. I wish I was going. I wish they were making that a beast, but it's stupid, right. stupid. So, but um, no, I, the first goal is 100 miles. I, I don't know if it's possible, but they give me 25 and a half hours. I'm going to try and use all of it to get as close as I possibly can. So, and then, so, the let, me a- so let me ask you. So you got 80 miles last year, and that was your first world's toughest mudder. Yeah. What do you think that you could have changed about last year to maybe possibly get 100 miles? The, obviously, this is something I've thought about a lot, right? I'm like, sure. You're going to put a goal out there. Um, <laughs> the, the first thing is I made mistakes last year, um, one of which was What was your first I, try, so? What? I mean, it was your first one, so there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be a learning curve. Yeah, that, that's kind of sure. why this is my, this is my first world's toughest mudder. So I got hot and had to slow down and walk. Mm-hmm. I was really happy because I like mentally approached it as this is just you know like you can't take your wetsuit off here. You have to keep going. So just use this as an opportunity to go slow, save your legs and, and maximize that. So that was a big help. I spent way too long in pit and it wasn't as bad as it has been, but it was longer than it needs to be. Right. Um, so those were two big ones. And then the third one, Scott, is I didn't have the fitness or the, the, the mileage or the understanding. Like it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but I just didn't have some of the, the grit that I've, worked on since so the mistakes were too much time in pit um too much time changing out of in and out of clothes 
and then um like putting on the wetsuit too early and i got hot those were the big ones right okay so talking about that going into this weekend and i've seen some pictures of the venue i I just shared some of them into the discord where it looks like hard packed kind of dirt running kind of like farm running so in in the pictures they've shown so far so but what is your pacing strategy for this year Pacing strategy is, and that's one of the things that I really did right last year. Um, and I have to credit uh, Rachel Waters and Aaron Roast, uh, Grindstaff, Aaron Grindstaff, for their advice um, on this. The pacing strategy is to negative split. Uh, even, and it's really hard to tell if you're successful in that strategy or not because of the way that WTM rolls out their obstacles. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, your, your fastest lap, almost no matter what, is going to be your first lap because there's no obstacles open, right? right? Mm-hmm. But I still am going to try and run that lap at close to an 11-minute-per-mile pace, if not a little slower, um, if not closer to 12. And that's because the goal will be to save it all and run fast later, which is what I did do last year. I picked off, like... And I didn't, I wasn't consciously doing it. I was focused on what I was doing, but people were telling me, you just picked off four people in the last four laps. I moved from like 10th to fifth place in the last like six hours of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, that will be the goal is really to just negative split and, and go slow. And, and the hard part about like 24 hour race uh, and, and 48 hour stuff is that it's the overnight like there's when it gets dark out you're gonna hit your wall and it was so great last year my buddy miko who's from uh odelaz as well he had a rough start and we found each other overnight and we're able to run with each other and i would be like i want to walk and he'd be like no you gotta run and then he'd be like i want to walk here i'm like no we have to run Mm -hmm. and just find someone to carry you until that sun comes up. And then when the sun comes up, you feel like, Oh, I'm going to live like, which sounds overdramatic, but it's, it's real. And then, um, just then when the sun comes up, that's when you start taking, you know, metaphorical souls. Like I said, I didn't really have my sights set on any individual, any numbers, any placement. It was just run the best race you can. And so that's just kind of what happened. And you just grind and have a smile on your face when everyone else is suffering. That's like, that's, that fuels itself. But no, I see your pictures and I'm actually excited seeing these pictures. Right. Because, um, and this is was the same at infinity this year. And I think that's why like I do well in tough mutter is because there's stupid shit. Like, so you see the like second picture you posted or even just like the cornfield nonsense. Right. Where it's not, it's not it's it's flat so people are like oh it's fast and i'm sure the ryan atkins of the world could bomb right and run super fast but oh yeah those things like rutted out cornfields or just mowed cornfields where it's just ankle turning and annoying like mm-hmm. and you, it slows you down or when they take you through the woods and it's not like flowy nice smooth turning single track it's like zigzag like they're going around oh, every yeah. tree and it's that kind of stuff that like really slows you down that I'm great at running slow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get as frustrated with like not being able to open up and grind. So that speaks to my strengths, I think pace wise. Yeah. Right. So I know like for the obstacles, 
you know, some obstacles have penalties, some you have to get over, but, and this is something that I'm unclear on, so, like, let's say you come to an obstacle and you know you can do the penalty faster than you can do the obstacle, but do you still have to try the obstacle, or is it one of those things where you can walk up to the volunteer and say, I'm doing the penalty, or is it some of them you have to try before you can do the penalty? So you're contender, right, Scott? Yes. Okay. So for contenders, it's and it'll say in the obstacle description, the biggest thing, penalty obstacles, they want you to get wet. Right. right? Like so if you come to Chunky Monkey, which is funky monkey with a twist, right? Right. Um, the biggest you don't have to touch any implement. You do have to get wet. So if you uh. want to just like bypass funky monkey, I would recommend jumping as far forward into that water <laughs> and keep your For momentum real. going, stay warm, and then you get out, and then you can take the penalty. But they do want you to get fully wet. Gotcha. That's the big thing. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Now, was... And then the other thing I'd tell you about the penalties, too, is I actually, people bitch about the Tough Mudder penalties, but I think they're really, really smart in that they allow for people who are there, like, for open and have a good time, have fun, like to not be like, Oh, <laughs> with one exception this year, I don't have to do 30 burpees. Right. But it's also like, so the thing about the puzzle pieces, right? Like, or last year it was the etch a sketch is that, or even the, the bouncy one. So for the etch a sketch and the puzzle pieces, you're standing there wet without being able to move and warm yourself up. Right. And so that's cold. Um, for the bouncy thing, okay, yeah, you didn't do Funky Monkey, but now your quads are blown right. from all that extra bouncing. So I, as much as, like, the penalties might be faster, sometimes they can be more taxing. I right. Would, I would warn and caution. I think that bounce ball one would be awful. Yes. And the one they're talking about where you have to put on flippers and wear, like, dizzy goggles, that sounds awful, too. Yeah, just frustrating because you're going to slow down. You're not going to know where you are. Yeah. Right. I hope that's not sure. a long penalty loop. <laughs> well, I forget what I'm worried about how cold the wet pajamas are going to be for Wet Bandit. Right. Like, oh, when you take those out, are your hands going to be freezing from touching wet pajamas? Oh, yeah. They could be like in like, an ice that bucket. That worries me for sure. Oof. Yeah, that we'll could see. be pretty bad. I guess we'll find all that out for sure. So, what is your... Did I lose you, Scott? I said... No, I'm, it's probably my phone. It, sometimes it goes in and out. Uh, okay. So this, what is your pit strategy? So I'm still finalizing what exactly pit procedure will be. But the big ones are I'm, I'm going to have my crew meet me at the, the front of the chute. Right. They will, you know, talk to me, hand me stuff that I do and don't need. I'm running with a vest this year, which frustrates the hell out of me, but it is what it is because it'll make things faster. They'll switch out my bottles. Um, I will give them the old bottles. Hopefully they'll give me hot food. I'll keep walking. Um, and I think I'm going to like talk about with Sophia because she's one of my main crew people. Right. About when I'm like, we're going to pre-plan when I'm going to need what gear. Um, and that'll obviously have adjustments on the fly, but for the most part, it'll be like, no, this lap at this time, because the sun's going down, you'll put on this layer. When you come back, you'll put on that layer. Um, and that'll be the most time consuming thing, but I'm really going to try and just like walk through the shoot and that will be the entirety of my pit and stoppages. Um, the big other things to check on, like things to remember are 
your headlamp batteries. Right. Like, so every single time, like, make sure your crew checks, oh, how much battery is left in the headlamp? Do we need to change these next lap? Um, and then, like, things like that. Like, oh, it's night ops. It's almost over. We're going to take those from you. Um, stuff like that. So like how... Medical checks. Hey, like, remember medical checks start next lap or something. Right. Like how often... Uh, last year, did you have to like change your batteries in your headlamp? Did you change them like every couple of laps, every few laps? I had this spot. Uh, no, I actually, I lucked out last year. Um, Brian was my pit crew and he's running this year and he lent me his uh, Lupine. And so I had it on the lowest setting. It was really well lit. Actually, it was almost, you almost didn't need a headlamp. Almost. Right. Um, so I had his really nice headlamp on. And it was tied to my bib. Oh, that's the other thing, Scott. Have your pit check every single time you come in. Do you have your timing chip? Because right. if you lose it, because it comes off in a netting or something, oh, like you want to make sure you address that that lap so you don't get no credit for multiple laps. So what um, is their timing chip like? Is it like a Spartan timing chip kind of? It is, but they tie it to your bib. So it's really annoying because when we do, I don't even remember what, what the new name for it is, but when we do Devil's Beard, the weighted cargo net, mm-hmm. if that thing, you uh, that, do not go in that thing without someone else, number one. Good tip. Because it will choke you to death. That stupid timing chip will get caught in the netting and it will pull on your bib and then it will choke you to death and you're like, I hate the world. So I, I went in by myself last year, got halfway, and then literally waited in the net. <laughs> I was just that mad. So that that will come off on stuff like that. It might come off in um, the water. So just, like, check for that thing. I, whenever I get out of an office, I go and grab and see if it's there. That's a good idea. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm sorry. I can't even remember what the other question was. But, yeah, timing chip. Oh, the batteries. No, yeah. I, I never had to change my batteries. David had a spot on. I think he might have had to change them once, like the, the regular Black Diamond, more affordable, um, waterproof-ish. Brian would say it doesn't have a gasket. It's not truly waterproof. Um, but it, uh, I think he changed it once. We have two this right. year, so I'll probably not even just, like, switch batteries. I'll just give the other headlamp to my crew and then take the new one, and then they'll switch it. So yeah, that's why I got, I got two as well. Okay. Cool. So when is, do you have an idea, or like, because you said last year you changed into the wetsuit too soon. What is yeah. your plan this year of when you're going to change into the wetsuit, and what different layers of gear have you brought that you may change into? Do you have a spring suit, a full suit, just thermal compression gear? What's your gear I guess your gear strategy, in other words. Yeah. I, I think we're going to learn a lot about the temperature on Friday in the hot lap, just based on, like, how cold are the obstacles. Last year was so hard because the water dried out because it was the desert, and they literally couldn't keep the pits that they dug full of water. Um, and that was the real problem last year is, like, there was the, the section you could either go Electric Avenue or go the other route. And it made me eat my words because I was like, why would you ever go Electric Avenue when the most fun obstacles are this way? It's because they were cold as hell. Um, (laughs) And that's why you would go Electric Avenue. I went Electric Avenue. But so everything else in the course was warm except for those three obstacles that were alternative to Electric Avenue. So it was really hard. Like you needed the wetsuit for those three, but you didn't for the rest of the course. So I think this year I'll probably plan to put on – I have – 
I'll, I'll start putting on wetsuit layers when the sun's going to go down. Right. So the, the lap that the sun's supposed to go down, um, I'll say, Sophia, you know, if night ops are starting probably around four o'clock, whenever I get back in that I have to go back out with my headlamp, I'm going out with wetsuit layers. Um, and they say that you want to make sure you beat getting cold because once you're cold, it's so hard to work hard to warm back up that you want to do it before you're cold. So right. preemptive measures rather than reactive measures. Um, I have a wool base layer that I'm definitely going to wear because one, if you like, Oh, it's, you're just going to get wet, but wool does not hold as much water as other materials. So that's going to go on first. And then I have a two millimeter, neoprene long sleeve which worked phenomenally last year a vest also worked phenomenally last year and then a hooded jacket that's like two millimeters i think i then also have the 2xu pants shed water great they don't keep you cold the water goes away from them phenomenally obviously their compression which is beneficial mm -hmm. and they make it really easy to slide on wetsuit gear over it so i have i think two or three millimeter pants that worked awesome last year. Um, I'll have those. And then I have two separate full wetsuits. One's like a three, two. And then the other one's like a four, three, two, because it's like stupid, like tri suit, like, right. but it's a full, they're both fulls. I know I get cold. So I make sure I'm like, I'm like over prepared there. I have leg mitts. I found cool fishing gloves and I have one regular pair of like neoprene gloves and then I also have um, just the, the cap for the swimming. And then I also have my two um, rain pants and like rain wind pants, just REI waterproof right. pants. And then the same thing up top because those work like, you know, a convection oven, like the plastic just keeps Holds the heat, the heat in, in right. and the wind out. So I'm, my guess is that at four, I'll put on the wetsuit pants that I have. And then the long sleeve and the vest, and I'll probably come back. And then maybe the next lap, I'll add the jacket and hope that that is good enough. The problem becomes like, how do you power through that lap where things start to get shitty, where you hit that wall right? Um, and stay warm then? How do you find that? And I think caffeine is actually going to play a really big role in that staying caffeinated so you can keep moving and like fight through pain. Um, in order to stay warm, because that's the, the number one thing is move, move, move. And then I think the, like, once the sun comes up, it'll be warmer, but you won't be warmer. Right. Like, you'll be so tired from, from moving. Like, uh, you're going to keep more layers on than you think is the other thing I'd say. Right. So you, you were talking about loading caffeine in the night hours to keep you, you know, awake and going. So... I wonder, do, at the beginning of the race, are you intaking any caffeine, or are you just waiting to hit that at night? No. So I haven't had any serious amounts of caffeine, like, other than maybe iced tea, and I'm not talking, like, seriously caffeinated iced tea, in probably, like, over a month. Wow. So I've been nice. caffeine tapering, pretty much, and so that way when I need it, and I even put in my crew notes, like, no caffeine until, like, 11 11 30 and that's the other part nice. i love about this race is that it starts at noon and so you can sleep in kind of and not like you can casually roll in and you're not tired when the race starts right and like i said i'm gonna start slow anyway so i won't need that kick it's just that and this is all the time with 
24 hour, 48 hour races. There's a time overnight where you're like, Hannah's body is like, Hannah, it's your bedtime. And it's like, well, we're not going to do that tonight. Right. <laughs> so fighting through that is always a challenge, but it's one I handled well last year. I just got to make sure I, I continue to do so this year. So was there like anything you did, I mean, back to the gear for a second, is there anything that you did to keep from like chafing with the wetsuit? I know a lot of people talk about chafing with the wetsuit on and like talking about foot care, you know, because your feet are constantly wet for 24 hours. Did you have any problems with that and how did you work through it? So I definitely, this this podcast is about to get real interesting. Um, I, uh, I, the number one rule with chafing, and I did a ton of research before last year because I, I know chafing can end races. I've right. had end friends' races. My buddy, um, Kevin Slider, Sierra Slider's husband, his Zion 100 ended. Um, but, and there's plenty of other stories like that. The number one thing I found is pre-taping. So if you have like KT tape and if you run it all in your wetsuit and you know, oh, the back of my knee pits, and I actually learned that at Toughest Chicago in 2021 uh, last year, I was like, oh, Sarah Moore was elbow deep in my wetsuit, taping and lubing up my knee pits. <laughs> um, so I pre-taped those, like the back of my knee pits, anything where there's like a crease. Women, it's always like the the sports bra lines, like under the armpit, right. underneath the boobs and stuff. But last year, and my lovely crew can attest to this, I ran into a worse nightmare. Um, my my butt started chafing so bad that I had to cut like four pieces and made this like, you know, I'm in the middle of the night and that was another mistake, right? That I had to tape. But once I taped, it was great. It was perfect. Hmm. I didn't have another issue again. Um, and then the other thing I recommend big time, it might be a little late, but maybe Amazon can help you guys out. We're early enough. People love squirrels, nut butter. Squirrels, nut butter is great for like normal racing in my opinion, but with the amount of water that we do, I found a product called, um, it's called Slipstream, and it's specifically made for, like, Iron Man, right. which is cool because, like, obviously they're in their wetsuit forever. Yeah. It'll burn when you first put it on, especially if it's already chafed, but once yes. it's on and once once you get through that burn, it works so much better than anything I've used, so I highly recommend the Slipstream. Squirrel's Nut Butter is great for, like, regular ultra, but Slipstream. And then the same thing with your feet if you're worried about the the hydration get the or like your feet being watered the whole time waterlogged i would say get um the rock tape or the kt tape that's like for swimmers yeah it's like extreme or something Hmm. and just pre-tape spots you're worried about um because then you really don't have to think about it it chafes against whatever you're wearing instead of you know your skin so that is definitely one of the biggest issues at WTM, so go get that K tape right away if you haven't already, and pre tape spots, hot spots. Have you run in your wetsuit yet? Uh, just a little bit, but not while it was wet, just while yeah. it was dry. So, so I know you said yours is tight, right? <laughs> so I bought a spring suit, you know, that fits really well, and okay. you know, anticipating warmer weather, of course, you know, I've got this old, uh wetsuit that's probably 20 years old that I used to surf in and I only used it like maybe eight times and it it's in perfect condition and it's a four three it's really nice paid a lot of money for it but 20 years ago I was a little bit smaller so now it's tight as fuck (laughs) so I actually thought about 
if I have to use it, I may have to like, maybe if I cut the sleeves a little bit, I can get a little bit more motion out of it and get it up on my shoulders a little better. But yeah, like I put it on last night and like I sat on the bed and kind of bent over and it was like trying to choke me out in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe you could just cut like a little V up in the throat, like like a little yeah. like you know, um, like a V neck kind of deal. That's what Give I was thinking too. Room. And then kind of cutting and just I thought about maybe cutting to where it was short sleeves at first and see how that did. And if that didn't feel any better, just cut the sleeves completely off. And then just yeah. wear a rain jacket on top of it because that's what I was planning on doing anyway. Because you're going to need the jackets because it's going to be windy this weekend for sure. So is it? Wind is the worst. Yeah. Wind is the worst condition. If I if I had to do away with any condition, I'd give up wind yeah. before anything else. But yeah, tape tape is the best. And even if if you do cut tape, if you do cut your suit, um, I would say like also tape on top of like where you cut. Probably because obviously those seams aren't going to be the same. Like yeah, they'll be abrasive, probably more abrasive for sure, because that material won't be on it. Yeah, for Yeah, sure. the only thing I'm worried about is the last time I did like a 40-miler in Florida and our feet got wet and I was wearing, because I usually run like OCRs in the, King MT, in the King MTs and that's a tighter fit. And I was running this race in the ultra lone peaks and there's a little bit more room for movement. And I was getting like a hot spot, like almost in between, like in the middle of my foot, right beside the ball of my foot. Okay. So that's the only spot I'm really worried about. So if I was to tape that, I guess I would just tape all the way around my foot, right? Yeah, just so, I mean, because you can do, like, really precise taping, like, and you can cut, but with this race, because it gets so wet, yeah, like, I, I feel like the water, come off, like, yeah. moves the tape, so if you could just tape around, that's that's how I, but I have really sweaty feet, so I'm maybe not the best resource. Right. My tape comes off so fast all right. the time, so I go for more, probably not good, but it's, yeah. And then, do you have neoprene socks or no, Scott? I do. I have neoprene socks. See, if you have those two, like those might be a little thicker than normal socks, yeah. right? So you might move around a little bit less, but I would still take that hotspot for sure. Right. Yeah, I, I probably will. And then I heard, saw where some people were talking about mixing Vaseline with gold bond powder, but I, I don't know if I should do that because I've never done that before. So. That's, yeah, that seems a little voodoo to me, but <laughs> I definitely always have like baby powder on me that's saved people's feet at races that i've just been at like oh my feet are so messed up i'm like oh i have baby powder you want some so even if it's not during the, the baby powder after right. might be beneficial but sure. it's like so here's the thing this is my first experience with world's toughest mother i've only done i've done a hot lap in 2019 and i've done a, another regular tough mutter so this is more like a learning experience for me like me and my buddy michael we're going to stay together the whole time you know just kind of learn the ins and outs learn the experience you know so we don't have any big goals of course it'd be cool if we get 50 but we're not going to like run ourselves into the ground you know and you know we're just going to kind of just learn this experience and enjoy it you know the number one rule is do not forget to have fun. I think right. like, this race, if 
if you are focused on anything other than having fun, there's so many things to frustrate you. It's wet. It's cold. This running is too slow. This obstacle sucks. This penalty's stupid. It's dark <laughs> out here. Like the list can just build up in your head. But if you, and this is what's so cool about this race. This is why I love it. This is why I'm so happy you're doing it. Cause you seem like the guy that can appreciate these things is like, you can do all that with a smile. Oh it, yeah. Absolutely. It just all floats away. Again, there's, there's people out there doing this in wheelchairs, right? And so when you're sitting there deciding, oh, should I, I, I don't really want to run anymore. Can I walk? It's like, oh, I get to make that choice, right? Like, right. I get to decide. I, I, can, I can move. What do I have to be complaining about? I'm here, and I get to be here. And so, Scott, you're running. Who are you running with? Who you say you're running uh, the whole thing with? Me and my buddy Michael Robertson. Okay. Well, I look forward to meeting Michael because that means, like, we've got to come find me and we've got to run together. Hell, yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, we're planning on kind of like, kind of like what you said, you know, you're going to try to do the first two laps kind of fast. And then from there, we're going to kind of do like some walk running and just kind of fill it out from there. You know, we kind of want to get, get some easy miles while they're there, but we're not going to kill ourselves. Yeah. David, um, David's of the mindset, like, and we've argued about this multiple times. He's like, yeah, you got to get as many miles in as you can while the obstacles aren't open. And I'm like, no, I am negative splitting. I'm taking it easy. I'm going slow. That's all just there to tempt you. So yeah, like, you don't just want to blow up, getting a right? feel for the course early is really, really, I would recommend. So what is your fueling strategy? So I have been trying to bulk up as much as possible these last couple of weeks <laughs> to make sure that I have not only like reserves for food, but like also a good layer to stay warm. Um, and then I am going to do, I think I'm going to have a veggie dog every lap just because they're so easy to cook up, so easy to eat. And they like, I know they go well on my stomach. I know oatmeal they had last year. If they, I'm going to bring some in case they don't have it again this year, but oatmeal's great. Um, hmm. and then I really like, I might make my chili again and bean burritos. The biggest thing is like, you want to warm from the inside with the food. So right. I'm going to try and eat as much hot food as possible. That's a good idea. I, uh, but your taste changes. The race goes on like in the morning during like breakfast time. I know I'm going to want like some fresh fruit. So stuff like that. I got some like go, go squeezes, but I think a hot dog for sure. Every lap. And then I have a couple bars and stuff. So I'll have, I'll ask for a hot dog every lap and then it'll depend on like, what else am I feeling? Like, what do I want? But something else too. Oh, cool. So, I've got some questions that Sophia wanted me to ask you. <laughs> what I'm do you expect from your pit crew? Um, my pit crew, I don't have very much expectations. I know Sophia is going to be awesome. She is like so on top of everything. She thinks ahead. She's been in a lot of these situations before. She was there at Oh, she, she knows like she's definitely got a more quiet way about her, but I love like, she's already been talking aggressively. Like there will be no stopping and that's exactly <laughs> what we need. So when we get to those moments where it's like, you know, we want to whine and feel bad for ourselves and you usually have to tell yourself, Hannah, stop being a little bitch. Go. Yeah. It's good to know there'll be someone else there saying that. Um, I have a friend, Eva, who was there last year and she is like, she's an MMA fighter. And so oh, wow. every time, we would come through pitch. She'd be screaming and yelling and like to the point where like people would be looking like is this girl okay, <laughs> but it's such an energy boost that it's, it's exactly what you need. And like just constantly being like, you're crushing it. You're killing it. 
And she's also a go-getter, like, just like Sophia. So I'm confident, like, anything I need during the time, they'll both be able to smash it. And then David and I, David's um, actually the best man at our wedding is coming. It's my buddy Jimmy, and he is just there to, like, he is the life of the party, no matter where the party is. So I think my crew is going to be totally fueled by energy drinks all 24 hours. Um, Jimmy will be there, like, trying to have a good time, being like, what do you need as well? He'll be so much fun. He'll... He'll make me laugh when I want to punch somebody in the face, which <laughs> actually happens less often during this race, I think, than other races. So that's going to be great. But I don't have expectations of my crew other than, like, I want them to have a good time, too. Like, there's three of them for a reason. You guys make sure you're enjoying yourselves as well. And I told them all to bring warm clothes because there's nothing worse than sitting in the, the pit freezing. So Right. That's important. Sophia also asks... Who's your favorite, Sophia or Matt Blitz? <laughs> Sophia, I plead the fifth. I appreciate <laughs> both of them for different reasons. That's all I can say. Okay, last question from Sophia. What other adventures do you want to do in the future? Other adventures? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I want to do, like, everything. Like, I found this um, 50K, Scott. How do you feel like traveling internationally, Scott? Um, I would love to, um, but if I do it, it'll probably be for like Greece or something for the Spartan trifecta. I would love to go do that. Okay. Well, I found a 50 K in Jordan. Okay. Right. And Jordan also has Petra. So Petra is this cool, um, city that's like built into these walls of these cliffs and stuff and it's incredible it's gorgeous but this 50k so I, I would go to this to to jordan for petra and then there's also a 50k there where you run to the lowest point on the planet in the oh, dead sea so that sounds cool that's that's an adventure i'd like to take on i like like to travel race you know right like, me too all over and and race to travel yeah me too it makes it fun, and and that's and a lot of people give Spartan shit, but they use some of the coolest venues to have some of the races at, which makes it really cool to me. For sure. Um, what What's your favorite Spartan venue? Scott? Hmm. You know what? I would probably say, man, I'd have to say Killington. It's it's one of those venues. It's got a really bad love-hate relationship with it but it's just the it's the one race that scares me the most when you go there you never know if you're going to finish it it's the hardest one it separates the men from the boys and it's beautiful when you run that ultra and you get up there on the cliff and the sun starts coming up that's just that's that's awesome man it's really cool that reminds me of um like i was telling david the other day about one of my favorite races is in utah and it's like such a unique kind of hard like it just scares you and it like yeah shatters your soul but it's so gorgeous so i feel you too but i really like west virginia i think that's west virginia is fun too that is a fun venue you know and like the first couple of years it was there you know before covid man it was so packed and there was so many people there and it was like a party but both years the first two years it was there it was yeah. really something. And then the great hills running, and then you got the fog coming up because it's like, yep. you know, the, those mountains. I, I'm a big fan of that one, for yeah, sure. I like that one. That's a fun venue, for sure. Okay, Hannah, we're coming to the part in the show where I ask everybody the same questions that comes on. Cool. So, to this day, 
What has been your most favorite race and why? World's Toughest Mudder 2021. Um, and I think it's because it's such a great combination of like the suffering with a smile. It's so hard, but it's so fun at the same time. And it's work hard and be nice to people. Like helping people is such a big element of that race. And when you have athletes at the top, you know, of, of the leaderboard and then at the bottom all working together to just enjoy themselves. And it's, it's just, I, I love ultra and I love obstacles. I have such great love for both and to get to do so many, so many um, laps with friends, like to run a lap with Corey, to run a lap, lap with um, Jason Dupree, to, to run a lap with, you know, so many people I appreciate and the list goes on. I'm forgetting very important people. So forgive me, but I, and I know I'm so much looking forward to it again. Like, it definitely was my favorite race and that goes from you know beautiful races in the mountains to obstacle course races to fun flat fast stuff it's it's the the like just this corner of the universe where obstacle course racing ultra being nice to people working hard like all these things that i really value as like an individual get to come together and so it's unique in that way and that's why i love it See, and that's what I'm excited about, too, is from this race is a different style of ultra. You know, it's five-mile loops, so you'll, instead of maybe seeing your friends once or twice on a course, you, you might see them multiple times throughout the race, and I think that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that as well. Absolutely. It just gives you life every time you see one of them, too. Scott, you're crushing it. Like, yeah. then, you know, like, just to hear that and have that kind of banter when you're 12 hours, 16, 20 hours in is just, it's so fun. Right. Okay. So now I want the reverse of that question. What's the race that you hated the most or was the worst and why? I have a really, I, I, so Sophia gave me a preview that I was going to be asked these questions. (laughs) So you got time Um, to think about it. I really, I was talking to David. I was like, what is our least favorite race? Um, and I have a really hard time because I feel like Every race I've done, I've definitely learned something. And there's always something to be appreciated. You have to look at things in a positive way. Otherwise, why are you out there? Right. But I'm going to be bold here. And I'm going to say that the race, I feel like, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful scenery races I've ever done. Um, and the format seemed cool. But I feel like one of the worst races I've ever been a part of was Spartan Ultra World Championship. <laughs> and Telluride was gorgeous like there wasn't a better place like you said they do a great job picking venues like you're at right you're in altitude at leaf peep season like the peak of beauty in Telluride Colorado gorgeous but just and it I think it's a testament to like how important not just like the scenery how important not just like the race itself the format but how it's put on like we were not treated well as athletes there um and a big part of it is like okay, if it's an honor to qualify for this world championship, then, you know, like, that's how you should treat people. Like, I was literally made fun of in the race briefing for asking questions about, like, how are we going to eat hot food? And to me, like, having gone and done ultras outside of the obstacle course racing world, that's a pretty standard question right. and standard offering. Like, so, and I've talked about it probably too much now in, like, passing, but it's just, like, that's another part where world toughest mutter just exceeded the expectations. I had done one tough mutter before last year, Scott, and I show up and I'm welcomed with open arms by every level of this community. Um, and so 
and it's probably like world's toughest mother's fault that I view UWC in that kind of a light, but it's just like when the people weren't in the same mode and, and again, like people overnight at WTM are, are happy. You're talking, you're jamming. It was a zombie fest right. on a cold mountain um, at UWC. So I, I think maybe not like, I don't even want to put the application of least favorite race, but my least favorite experience racing, we'll put it that way. That'll make me feel better if I can say it like that. And so, and and that's one other thing too is, is like they probably had just regular normal aid stations where you probably just have water, right? Yeah. And the other part of it was, is they only gave hot food and really the, the hot water that only worked was for Spartan Plus members. Oh my God. And that, that's they so went lame. out of their way to like make that a thing. And so that really put a bad taste in my mouth. And it's like always oh, yeah. the, you know, earned not given and i joke unless you're smart unless you're paying for it (laughs) so So. you know like the 50k trail races they do yeah so if you ever see an aid station for one of those you're like what the hell man they got like sodas like different kind of candy bars like mixed nuts there's a whole bunch of stuff but given most of the time the 50Ks that those races have probably less than 100 people, I think in Virginia there was probably only like 25. But still, you walk by this aid station and you see all this stuff there and you're thinking, man, when I, when I run a, a 50K Ultra, usually you get water and if you're lucky, there may be like a honey stinger gel. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it just comes back to the mindset of like, oh, we're being hard for the sake of being hard. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, like this, this, any other real ultra nine times out of 10, unless it's advertised, is like unsupported or like really right. lowly supported is going to be, they're going to have a bowl of M&Ms. Like, yeah, like <laughs> quesadillas and stuff like that, man. A whole bar full of food to choose from, you know. My second favorite race across the years, they feed us four times a day. (laughs) Yeah. So, and another thing you, I want to attest to as well, because I volunteered at World's Toughest Motor in 2019, and I volunteered for Spartan a bunch of times, and it was a night and day difference of how much better and how much more appreciated we felt when how I felt as a volunteer at world's toughest mudder. And I hope that, you know, that kind of stays, even though now Spartan has taken over world's toughest mudder. And I'm sure like the people that has always, that that have run tough mudder, I'm sure they've probably noticed some differences now that Spartan is kind of running things. I hope that, you know, it's still holding true to the tough mudder way though. Yeah, in my experience, and I've been working with the Tough Mudder team a little bit lately, too, and it, it's been, they're very separate. Like, I feel like the, the Tough Mudder people are really making a concerted effort to, like, make sure that they maintain the culture that was there prior. And I, I give Kyle a lot of credit, who obviously is not there anymore, for kind of establishing that that culture there. He he did a great job last year, and he was not afraid to make jokes at safety briefings at Spartan's expense, right. even though Spartan owned them at the time. So I think that, that we're on the right track there. Right. So, okay, Hannah, what is your uh, kind of like your race ritual? Like, what do you do Friday before the race? 
what are you what are you eating for breakfast? Are you using any special supplements? Do you have like what is your secret to being badass? Oh, secret to being badass is actually like failing a ton of times um, <laughs> and trying to learn, like going out there and getting my ass kicked over and over again. That's the secret to being badass is not being afraid to get my ass kicked. But it really varies race to race. Like it's so different. Um, for WTM. It will be, I'm going to try and sleep in as much as possible, and then we will roll up. I think this race, I have just started taking um, a certain supplement called Apex, and I will take one of those right at race time, at, at start time. So what is that? Um, it's, a, it's a microdose of, uh, what's it called, of um, nootropics. So like just certain mushroom compounds that right. are all um water certified and stuff like that but it is like energy that i haven't experienced and i don't take any supplements like i don't take i'll, I'll take a few caffeine chews late in a race right um but that's about it like so it, it was it took me a while to try it and once i did i was really really happy and satisfied because i don't take much of anything so i'll take one of those for wtm i've, I've tested it enough times that i feel comfort confident and comfortable doing that but for WTM, it'll probably be a bowl of oatmeal before um, good hearty breakfast, maybe some toast with blueberries and stuff like that. Um, I don't with ultras. It's really hard for me, like to even do strides or anything like a good warm up, because that's what the first hour right. of that's, a 24 hour race is. I'm the same. I don't um, warm up before an ultra. No, but but shorter stuff, like obviously I will. But for this one, it'll just more than anything, the prep is like going to be really Friday is so fun. You're going to get there. You're going to set up your pit. You can do the hot lap, talk to people, laugh at the jokes they tell in the race briefing, and then see all your friends. And I really want to like bathe in that, like just be so excited to see everybody and enjoy like this opportunity to be surrounded by people that I really, really appreciate and enjoy spending time with and let that kind of like propel me, like just this elation that we get to be here and do this and see all these people and, have so much fun and and i'll really like try and get my mind right in that space using all that more than anything else i think that's where the focal point will be for me hmm. what advice would you give to anybody that's doing their first world's toughest motor don't forget to have fun like i said it's obviously bring lube <laughs> bring tums <laughs> um pre-taped spots you're worried about keep moving if you're cold but just don't the most important thing is like just have so much fun like and and if you can't have fun at a race where there's an obstacle called dong dangler like hmm. I, I don't know why you're here like having fun <laughs> and like enjoying this that we get to do this like yeah you could just spend 24 hours not looking at the news not focusing on all the world's problems but just like playing on obstacles running and shooting the shit with your friends and there's a dj for 24 hours have fun have a smile all the other things you can allow them to be secondary all the discomfort the pain the the frustration allow that all to be secondary then you'll have a good time you'll have fun and you'll probably do well well i think that about wraps it up and that sounds like some good advice and is dave is going for 100 miles too right i I don't know. He hates the cold and he's not as strong as me when it comes to that stuff. I told him if he wants an orange jacket, just run with me, but he wants to go out fast. So mm. we'll see. I hope he does. Obviously two orange jackets would be better than one, but 
Well, you I, know, he, I'm going to run my race. That's that much I know. If he, he wants to come with me, he can come with. He can always go out fast, you know, and then, like, whenever y'all cross paths again, you know, he can hang hang with you for the rest of the race. We'll see. We'll see. That sounds like, well, Hannah, is there anything else you want to add to this before we sign off? No, I'm just so excited that you're running it, Scott. Like, I'm, I want to know, like, you, you, if you need help with anything or anyone else has any last-minute questions, I'm, I'm happy to help. So, just hit me up. Oh, cool. Well, Hannah, I appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, guys. See you guys on Friday. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Hannah again for taking time to talk to us. I hope that was as informative to you as it was for me. I got a lot of good info out of there and tips that I will definitely probably use this weekend because this is new waters to me. I've never done this type of race, so I don't really have a lot of expectations. I'm just going to go out there and hang with Michael and, you know, we're just going to have fun, you know, and just see how it goes, you know. I'm really afraid that I'm probably going to get blisters on the bottom of my feet because the last time I did a long run, I that happened so hopefully it won't but just gonna go out there have a fun time enjoy the experience try not to die and try not to get hypothermic but anyway you see me out there come up to me and say what's up uh i'll also be at carolina next weekend or weekend after this for the carolina ultra so if you see me there come up to me and say hey if i don't have an episode between now and then which I probably won't because I'm lazy. Anyway, we'll see you next race. Peace.